following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. We are spending our summer um, on a series titled We Believe, and um, we're just taking some time to solidify some things, to articulate some things about what we believe. And it's an important aspect um, we kind of laid out uh, in the, the beginning that it's important that we understand or can articulate what we believe because what we believe impacts the way that we act. It impacts our behavior. And so one of the challenges to me during this time is we're looking at the very basic foundational aspects of what we believe in Christian faith. What do we believe the word tells us? What do we believe about God and how we interact with God? Is I'm challenged when I say, yes, I believe that, but I couldn't actually give you evidence of that, that, that I can say I believe that, but how do I walk? And is the way that I'm walking demonstrating that I believe that. And so the prayer of my heart has been, even as we review just these kind of fundamental basic aspects of faith, that the Lord would help us in the places that we don't believe. There's a a prayer, um, there's a man that said once to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I believe that that's our collective prayer this summer as we look at these different aspects of faith and these different truths that we believe, we're saying, Lord, we believe, help us in those places that we don't fully believe. Kind of like we were saying, Lord, I give everything to you. Help me in those places I'm not fully giving to you. And so as we approach this, my heart is not that we would be able to line by line articulate what we believe, but that we would come into a fullness, a deeper depth of believing these things. So we've looked at a lot about the nature of God. Pastor Bob kind of kicked it off with looking at the centrality of Jesus and really laying the foundation, the cornerstone, if you will, that our faith, our, our expression of faith, the way that we interact with God and his word, even as a charismatic church, is centered on the person of Jesus, that he is the access point to everything else that, that we believe and that we walk in. I talked a little about the nature of the Father, how it was revealed in Jesus, but also how we get our identity from the Father, that it's the Father that speaks identity, and for us to really walk in the truth of our identity, we need to be connected and understand the true nature of the Father. We also talked about the role of Holy Spirit in our lives and how, how he operates, how Holy Spirit is part of Christian faith before we even ever believe, how he is actively pulling people into the heart of God and drawing them. Holy Spirit is not just something that, that we receive in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is something that we believe, that there's an overflow of the Holy Spirit that comes in that, but that Holy Spirit is actively drawing men unto God. He's active in, in the, the seal of salvation. He's active in the sanctification of our lives being transformed more and more to look like Jesus. 
and then also in the overflow of that, as, as we come into a baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, that overflows and it releases us then to minister that presence to others around us. So we've looked at the nature of God, uh, the, we believe obviously in a triune God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We looked at some of that. Um, <clears throat> last week we had a guest with us and I thought he did an awesome job of really laying out the reality of Jesus being fully God and fully man. And that we need to understand him in both of those natures to really understand Jesus and his role. And, um, and then Pastor Bob, a week before that, had talked about the freedom that we have to operate and to interact with the Godhead. That the whole point of coming into a revelation of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is that we would be able to interact with them from a place of freedom. That, um, that we have a freedom. That's why I believe we even start with talking about who do we, what do we believe. We didn't start talking about all the rules that we follow. We didn't start talking about all the things we have to do. When we started talking about what we believe, we went, this is the nature and the essence of God, and it's about relationship, and it's about freedom to pursue relationship with him. And so that's kind of where we've been so far, where I want to go today is I want to talk about what we believe about mankind. And I think sometimes we can think, well, it's way more important that we know what we believe about God. But I would say it's equally important that we understand and what we believe about mankind. Mankind is the crowning work of God's creation. And it influences what we believe about man influences our whole worldview. In fact, I think it is so important in this time when a secular worldview is running rampant in education and in media and, and all of those places. In fact, we're not going to really find any competition or a contending viewpoint about God. So we can talk all we want about who we think God is. They're not talking about God at all. What they are talking about is what they believe to be true about man and man's role on the earth and what's right and wrong for man and where man came from. And, and so we need to be able to say, here's a biblical worldview about what is true about man. And that affects everything. That affects how we interact and relate to the world around us. It affects how we interact with God and how we interact with others. If I, if I have an understanding of what God's intention was for mankind at large and me specifically, it, it helps me to know how do I interact with man, other, other people. And can we just settle this right here? I'm going to say man a lot, and I mean men and women, humankind. Can we, can we be okay with that and not be offended by that? And it's, it's, It is a term for humankind. It just doesn't trip off the tongue the same way as man. So that's what I'm referring to. Are we good with that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <clears throat> it's important <clears throat> as it relates even what I believe about mankind informs how I relate to unredeemed mankind. It, it informs how I look. When I look at the world that feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket, for lack of a better term, 
Do you want to know what that means? Because I actually spent way too much time researching the origin of that statement. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but it was in my notes, and I thought, well, I should probably know where that came from. It's pretty much undecided. The, as, as most phrases, American sources claim that it came from like either the Civil War era or um, during a time in the gold rush. But English sources who actually, thank you, English sources who actually founded the English language uh, believe that it was as early as the 1500s that it had to do with stained glass windows that depicted the devil pushing people in hand carts to hell. <laughs> Going to hell in a hand basket or a hand cart. Interesting, huh? Not at all part of anything that I'm doing. And this would be a way better sermon if I hadn't taken all that time out to research that. But. Okay, so I think it's important that we understand God's original intent for mankind when we look at unredeemed man. When we look at the world around us, we can have a whole different perspective if we can connect to what was God's plan and how did he mean to interact with this human race? And, and what has he done over, over the centuries, thousands of years, to, um, to, what's the word I'm looking for? To preserve it. So here's what I want to start with. Most of what we're looking at is going to come from Genesis because it's like one of my favorite sections of the Bible is the very beginning where we understand the plan of God, the heart of God, in, in, in dreaming up humanity before it was ruined by sin. Because this is what we believe we're meant to be moving towards, that, that it, is, it is Jesus, yes, comes to uh, redeem us from sin and to, you know, to their, hell is real and eternity away from God is real. And yes, Jesus comes to do that. But the Christian story is so much more than just the fall and redemption from the fall from the standpoint of being able to be in heaven with God for eternity. The Christian story begins with what was God's original plan for mankind? What did he, what did he have in mind? Because that is the fullness of what Jesus came to restore. So when we look at that, one of the first things that I see is the reality that mankind was created by God for God. We believe, it's, it's an easier aspect for us to say, yes, we believe that God created man. Although, that's coming under fire, isn't it? That there's, there is more opposition to that mentality now than I have ever seen. But that not only was mankind created by God, but created for God. Augustine said this, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. This is the human condition, <laughs> that we were created for God. And when we operate apart from that knowledge and understanding, there is a restlessness there is, a, there is an emptiness. There is, a, there is a desire for something I don't know what. And to me, that's really the essence of sin, 
It's this pursuit of satisfaction apart from the very reason that we were created, and that was we were created for God. We were created to glorify him and to fully enjoy him forever. Last week during worship, I had this over and over and over again. The Lord was just moving over my spirit with the revelation of you were created for eternity. Why? Why do things here on earth sometimes feel like like turmoil and misfit and disappointment? Because you were created for eternity. You were created for things that are eternal. It shouldn't feel comfortable when we're walking in things that are not eternal. It shouldn't feel comfortable when I'm giving myself to things that, that don't carry eternity in them. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And then a little bit later in verse 21, he says, The people who I formed for myself, I formed them that they may declare my praise. This is, this is the essence of the song that we sang today. This is how I fight my battles, through declaring his praise, through bringing glory to him. This is, this is the force of our lives is meant to be that we were created for him, to bring glory to him. Ephesians 1.4 reiterates, he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is, this is a Christian worldview of mankind. We're going to talk about sin and the effect of sin on mankind, but we need to recognize that man was created to bring glory to God. That's not, that's not how... All of us are walking all the time, but that's what we were created for. In Revelation 4.11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will and for your pleasure, they exist and were created. This is something that there has been such a peace and such a rest in my life when this got settled for me. This is what I was created for. I was created to bring glory to God. It takes off a whole bunch of other pressures. Because this is the place, you'd think it would actually put on a lot of pressure. But when we step into this reality, the purpose of my life is to bring glory to God. And he can do that any way he wants to. There's such a peace in that, to rest in that place. C.S. Lewis said, I have found a desire within myself that no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. It's not even so much that I was made for another world as in we don't belong on earth, because he put us here. But it's that we are made for another way. We are made for, for the sake of his glory. So that's the first piece. We were created by God, for God, all of mankind. This is true of all of mankind. Not all of mankind is awakened to this, but this is true. So when I see somebody struggling in their separation from God, I can go, oh, you're just not walking as you're created. That must be very uncomfortable. There's no judgment in that. 
And my heart is, how can I connect you to that reality that you were meant to walk in glory to God? The other piece that we see, and this is the really commonly spoken aspect of, of how man or why man or the truth of man, is that we are created as image bearers of God. Imago Dei is the Latin term that's used for it. And it's being used in a lot of different ways right now, the concept of being image bearers. A little bit... um, Anyway, it's important that we know the truth about it. This fact that we are image bearers separates us from all other creation. God dealt with mankind differently than he dealt with any other creation, even in the way that he created mankind. He spoke all these other things into existence, but he fashioned, he formed, and breathed into mankind. He spoke these things, but about no other aspect of creation did he say, let us make this in our image. And so this is where we have that, that idea in, in Genesis 1 where God, the Godhead, that's where the plural comes into play. Let us make man in our image. Throughout the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit was present at creation. The Son, Jesus, was present at creation. And the Father was present at creation. The Godhead had an idea together. And they all worked towards this, this aspect of creation. So the fact that we are image bearers, if we look at Genesis 1.25, no, 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, so that and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is a very basic building block of the truth of mankind, and even the truth of the the relationship between male and female, that we have to look at that reality and say, male does not fully represent the nature of God, Female does not fully represent the nature of God, that he chose to represent his nature in male and female. And this is where we, we can look at the, the fact that both are meant to carry his glory and that both are meant to, to carry aspects of the nature and the character of God that the other can't. I think it's interesting, obviously, that he initially created and crafted man with all of his, his nature, all of his image being shown in one being. And later on we find that he says, yeah, this is not good. It's the only place that he says something isn't good. Every time he makes something, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he goes, no, this is not good. And so he takes a part of his nature away from Adam, man, and now it's carried in woman. And so for us as people that minister to marriages, we see this amazing opportunity in marriage, but even in the unity of men and women operating together in their giftings and in the unique ways that God's created them, we see this amazing opportunity to to more fully represent the nature of God. 
Why do you think there has been such enmity between men and women over the years? Why has the enemy done that except that it destroys a picture of the nature of God? We will find, actually, that everything that the enemy is against, when, when we look at the effects of sin, when we look at what, what we see being perpetuated in, a, in, a, in evil in the world, all of it attacks the nature and the image of God. That's what sin is about. Anything it can do to destroy that representation of, of the beauty of God, the perfectness of who God is. So we are made in the nature of the image of God. That word image, it's image or likeness, it means the figure of or the representation of without being the thing. So this is where we need to recognize we are not God. We are made as a representation and a resemblance of God. And that we're, we're meant to represent him on the earth. In what ways are we like God? I think it's interesting if we look at that verse in um, Genesis 26. Some translations say, let us make man in our image according to our likeness so that they may have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. And so there's, there's a, a great number of, of uh, theologians that believe that we are like God in the ways that would equip us to have dominion with him over the earth. That the ways that we are like him are those qualities that would allow us to represent him in, in reigning with him on the earth. So there, there's mental, uh, moral, spiritual, relational, physical aspects of how we represent God. There's the creativity that we, we have a, a creativity that is different than any other creation, that we can be like him in that way that we can, can have a, an idea and that we can create that. The Bible talks about the power of our words, that in the same way that he spoke and things were created, we have a power in our words to create. So there's a lot of different ways that we bear his image. We see, you know, in a couple of different places where it's talking about this aspect of the man and the woman. And the only thing I want to say about this is that we don't, because we have this, we have what God's original plan was, what, what his desire was, what his heart was, and, and his, his um, plan for mankind, we don't need Levitical law to explain why homosexuality or gender confusion is not God's best for us, is not his plan for us. This, this is a far better way to say, this is how God intended for us to walk and to live. This is his best for us. This is the way that we will be the most satisfied. This is the way that we will be most fulfilled because this is how he's designed it for us to be in walking in this way with one another. 
Another way that he designed us, which I think is really interesting, this was a huge uh, eye-opener to me, is he designed us to have a, a purpose or a work. <laughs> that I had always kind of looked at this Garden of Eden experience like a giant vacation in which they just laid around in hammocks, naked, in the perfect temperature, and they swam in little ponds, and they just frolicked around picking flowers. And, but the reality is that part of the, the design of God was for us to have work, to have purpose, to set our hand to something. So Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And when we look at the meaning of those words, the original Hebrew, I love this. It's that word put, again, the frailties of English. That word put means to place to rest, to cause to rest, to permit. He, he placed him in rest to work the garden that there was a rest in stepping into the work that God intends for us. There is a rest when we allow him to place us into the, this is yours to, to tend. It's not work, it's a rest. But, it, but it's a purpose, that we're made for that, that work was not a curse. Then it says, so he, he put him there to rest, to tend it, to serve it. He put him there to serve this, this vision that God had created in the garden. And to keep it, that means to guard it, to be the doorkeeper. Isn't that interesting? That is part of our role, is to step into the purpose, the work of God, which feels like rest when we're really in the work of God, to serve it and to guard it to be a doorkeeper for what he has given us in this. We're going to be most fulfilled when we have a divine vocation. And I don't mean that we all are called to the priesthood. Well, that's a whole other deal. We are all priests and blah, blah, blah. And, but that's a different sermon. But not that we're all called to full-time ministry, but there is a divine vocation. There is a divine place that he wants to set us to tend and to guard, and it's going to feel like rest when we step into that place. Yes, Amen? So the other piece with that is that one of the things that was necessary for the relationship between Adam and Eve was that shared mission, that there is a unity that comes, there's a strength, there's a power that comes around shared mission. For, for us as married couples, one of the most important things I see to the life of a marriage is shared mission, is knowing that there is a work, there's a calling on your life as an individual, but there is a calling on the union that you have as well. And you're going to be the most fulfilled because it's the way we're created to have shared mission with one another. I Sometimes I'm working through this balance of relationship being connected to task, but there's something in it that is good and right. 
that I can I can go overboard on that to the sense that it's like I can be I am all in for relationship if we have a task to go after together. So I'm working on that aspect of of coming into what that rest looks like. But but there is something in that we are created that brings me alive to have a purpose that we're going after together and it it brings a connection in relationship. It brings a connection in the body of Christ when we have shared mission. When we have a purpose that God has said, here's a sphere, and it's I've given you this sphere to keep and to tend. And we get to step into that together. The other aspect is just a side note, because I think it's such a funny little statement in all of this stuff about creation. There's this little sentence that gets thrown in chapter one, verse, no, chapter two, verse 25 of Genesis. It talks about him creating Eve and from, from Adam, and now because of that, man shall join his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So this is, the, this is the basis for marriage. Marriage was not created as a societal construct. Marriage was a God-ordained concept. This is why I can say it. I believe that this is what God intends in marriage. So anyway, after that it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Okay, thanks for that. This is why all the coloring pages of Adam and Eve have strategically placed leaves and vines, because this is, this is a reality. This is something the Word is telling us, that we are made to be fully known and fully loved in spite of it. We are made to live fully uncovered. And no, we're not doing that here. But we're, in, we're made to, be, to live fully uncovered before God and before one another. This is something that we can step into. This is an important aspect then that we not come into church, come into a saving revelation of Jesus, step back into this reality and then live covered but that we work to foster relationship where we get to live fully known and to expect to be fully loved in that. This is something that we get to cultivate. This is part of the Eden that we get to cultivate together as a body. And we get to invite other people in that. Come be fully known and be fully loved because this is how mankind is created to live. Mankind is created to live not having to cover it was shame brought on by sin that caused them to have to cover themselves. We were made to live with nothing hidden from one another or from God. Another thing that mankind was made for was to function in free will. This is an important aspect of how God created man. I have no idea why he thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Except that he knows the God of love who created love said there can be no love if there's not choice. There can be no love if you don't have an opportunity to not choose this. And, and so he put in the garden an opportunity to choose he said, here's the way that I've, 
I've created you to live. Here's the way I want you to live. Here's how you honor relationship with me. You also have this choice, but don't choose it. Please don't choose it because it's, it's going to be death to you. But you have the choice. I've joked, I've, I'm sure you've heard others say it as well. I have no idea. It says he put it in the middle of the garden. Really? Could, could, you, could you have made it difficult to make the choice? Like, could it have been at the top of a mountain where brambles are so naked people would not want to climb up there? Like, they'd have to work really, really hard to make the choice. No, because that's not love. I want you to be able to choose me because you're choosing me. So we have to value free will as much as God values free will. In relationships, I have to value free will as much as God values free will. That's hard. I like to remove as many options not to love me as possible. But that's not how God operates. Okay. So we talked about that, this whole aspect of him offering this choice. Man had perfect freedom. There was this one rule. You know, like, you had one job. I want to say that to Adam and Eve. It was one rule. You can follow the one rule. You have complete freedom, and everything prospers as you, as you tend it. Were you that bored? Like, could you not just stay away from the tree? So we, we had one rule, and it was important that we had a rule because we, it needed to demonstrate that there is still a ruler. Mankind is created to be subject to God in partnership with God, but subject to his rule. That's another aspect, that's another place where, where a secular worldview or humanism, when it infiltrates even the church, it's dangerous. We are meant to be under a rule. <laughs> In some ways, it's like my dad said when he said, we carry a light doctrinal load. <laughs> God carries a light doctrinal load for us. He just wants us to be committed and yielded to him in relationship. That'll take care of a lot of the other rules. Our motivation then becomes relationship with him. So we had this one rule, and all that they knew in that rulership was goodness. There was nothing under that rule that was not good. Goodness, everywhere they went was goodness. Every fruit was always good. Everything they touched flourished. Everything, everything, because he gave them this job. He gave them, did you ever think about the fact that he could have made the entire earth look like Eden? But he didn't. He said, here's this place I've created for you. Here's the vision I have. Now you expand that and you multiply that and you cause that to, to cover the whole earth. I'm not sure what the rest of it looked like, but it didn't look like that. It's not interesting. He planted that. He could have gone poof. He probably didn't say poof. He could have gone whatever. It's the Hebrew word for No, it's not. It's not a Hebrew word. <laughs> he, could have, he could have just said, you know, the whole earth could have looked that way, but he wanted to partner with man in that. And everything they put their hand to would flourish because they were like him. 
but they knew only goodness. I think it's interesting when it talks about the story of Noah, there's a, a, a word or a statement in there that says they did all evil only all the time. That's pretty excessive. So that's from this place where they knew only good only all the time. Now we're hundreds of years later at this place where they did all evil only all the time. So, and that happens with the fall. The serpent comes along and says, you're missing something. There is something more that you need to be satisfied. The father of lies come in, comes in and accuses the father of truth and says, he's not telling you the truth. And I have no, I don't understand that with, with sin not being in their lives, I don't understand why Eve made that choice. I still don't get that. That's a piece I tried to f- suss out biblically. I just couldn't see that. I don't understand. If you only know goodness all the time, what are you lacking that you would make that choice? But we probably do it as well. So he convinced them that there was something more that they needed. You're missing something. You only know goodness, but you need to know this. In fact, he basically what they did is they said, I no longer trust the rule of God. I'm saying your rule is not perfect. I need something better than that. I need, I need to be satisfied with something more. And the serpent provided an invitation to be satisfied with something other than God. That's the essence of sin. That is what draws mankind towards sin. It's an invitation to be satisfied with something other than God, but it's a trick. It's a trick to bring us into a different rulership. What's interesting is his promise wasn't you will become, it says you'll be like God, but it's not the same word that was used when, when God said, let us make man like us in our likeness, in our image. It wasn't that same word. It actually, I'm not sure why it translates it this way, because the Hebrew word actually says, you will be Elohim. You will be God. If you eat this fruit, you will become, the, the name for God that's Elohim has to do with ruler and judge. You will rule and judge yourself. Do we see that in the function of mankind? I want to rule and judge what is good and right and wrong for myself. And so he convinced them to no longer be satisfied with the rulership of God and said, you can rule yourself because now you'll know what's right and wrong. She saw that it was good What's interesting, again, not the same word good like when God created man and said, it is very good. That was meant the best or better than or, or um, um, higher than. It is, it is exceedingly good. This meant it's good to taste, smell, and look at. It's this, like... God said, it's good. What I've created here is good. And she traded it for something that was good. Like, how was your day? Good. So she saw that it was good, and she, she took it, and as did Adam, and we're not going to even argue about that whole thing. 
But the reality was they didn't become like God, they became like the serpent. They traded the rulership of God for the rulership of the serpent. They traded the rulership of goodness for a rulership of evil. They just switched rulers. Now, the trick was this ruler didn't care about love. So this ruler didn't care about free will. And that's what binds mankind when we talk about a sin nature it's a predisposition towards the rulership of sin in our lives. The rulership, not of what is good and right and within the plan of God, but the rulership of darkness. God valued free, free will because that was love. He doesn't value free will at all. And that's why we come into bondage. That's why mankind came into bondage. We gave our authority to him. We gave rulership to him. What's interesting, nothing's interesting, because we're going to close up. Um, let me just say this. We need to recognize that man did not lose their mandate, their image-bearing, their purpose and work, their free will, <laughs> If I had been God, I would have pulled all of that so fast. <laughs> like, oh, no, no. You did not earn this. But they didn't. In fact, he went to great lengths. Have you ever wondered? I wondered. Why preserve Noah and his family? Why not just start over? Like, you did it once. You can do it again. Just do it better this time. Tree up on the mountain. That'll be better. <laughs> But he didn't. He is committed to this original plan. He is committed to this call on mankind. And I'm committed to his plan. So I can look at what's happening out there and go, ah, but he's committed to that. He is committed to restoring all of mankind back to these things. In fact, all of mankind is still created for this environment. All of mankind is still created for perfect um, access to God and perfect connection with one another. And that's what we can be restored back to. Let's pray and ask for that. Amen. So Lord, we thank you that your mandate and your purposes for mankind have not changed. We thank you that even now mankind is created with a desire and a longing for you. God, we thank you that we are predisposed to your way, even though we're under the bondage of a different ruler, and that you've sent Jesus to restore and reestablish our ability to represent and resemble you and to step into the fullness of your plan for creation. We thank you, Lord, that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. We just thank you, Lord. We commit to stepping into the fullness of being image bearers. We commit to stepping in not just to being redeemed from sin, but being restored back to the original plan of how you meant for us to walk. 
We will find our pleasure in bringing glory to you. We will find our pleasure in coming under your rulership. We ask that you would restore that in us. Any place that we haven't fully stepped back into that, restore that in us. We acknowledge that creation groans and waits for the sons of God to step into that place because creation was created to be under the rulership of heaven. And so we want to partner with that. We just ask for a full revelation of what that looks like for us today, not sometime in eternity, but today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.